0: Good morning, uh, went back and listened to last week's message and uh, in case you didn't know I do that, I do do that, make sure that uh, I'm not preaching heresy to you or anything like that. And in case you missed last week's episode, you can uh, catch up on our Spotify podcast where every message is recorded, and you can go back and pick those. Uh, If you hit the subscribe, or actually I think it's follow, if you hit the following button, uh, you'll get notified every time the new episode comes up, and it'll keep you up to date that way. Um, And uh, why do I bring that up? The reason I bring that up is... I need to clear up an error I made last week. Don't worry, it wasn't scriptural. It was in my introduction. I I stated that we traveled back in time last week. And as I went back and listened to that, I realized we only traveled back 1,300 years, which would have put us in like the 700s, you know, or somewhere in that range, which does not put us in the proper timeline. (laughs) So I either can't do math, or I had a typo on my sheet. Either way, what should have been said is we traveled back some 3300 years, uh, 1375 B.C., right? Uh, Which would put us in the late Bronze Age. So, getting that out of the way and clearing up my mistakes, let us get started this morning. I have a scenario I'd like to share with you, um, and I'm just kind of making this up so this is not based on real people. This is just for our uh, making a point this morning, illustration. Let's say I have a friend. His name is Frank. And Frank and I have been friends for a while. Um, I've started to get to know Frank, and, and he's gotten to know me a little bit. And there's one thing that I haven't got to know about Frank that I'm dying to know. So I ask Frank, Hey Frank, are you afraid of the dark? To which Frank goes, no. My question to you is, how am I supposed to know whether or not Frank is telling me the truth? How am I supposed to know that even though I'm trying to get to know him and, and I've asked him a question, that he has responded with the truth? Well, one way is, turn the lights out on him. See what <laughs> happens, right? To which he might go, ah! Ah! right? Which would reveal that he just lied to me, right? This brings up a point that testing reveals what we truly believe, right? Testing reveals what we truly believe. In this scenario, the question that was asked was, are you afraid of the dark? And he responded with no. Lights go out and he screamed, which reveals that he believes he's afraid of the dark, he, he actually is. The test revealed where he and what he truly believes. We've been studying together in Judges and, and one might ask, well, why do we test people in this way? Well, maybe we're sick in the head and we just want to see how people respond by turning off the lights. But I think it's because we want to know if they're being truthful with us. We want to know truly if they've been truthful. And so we test them. And the same thing is true when we are tested, what we truly believe will be revealed in how we respond. Do our actions, when we're tested, line up with what we say? This morning, we're going to continue our study in Judges. Um, This morning's message is titled, Hearts Revealed. Uh, We are going to, uh, it's been three weeks in Judges now, and we are just now finishing the book's introduction to the book of Judges. Uh, So if you've been like hanging on by a thread to get to these heroic stories, you got another week. (laughs) We're still getting into the introduction of the book. We're going to wrap that up this morning. Uh, So I invite you to have your Bibles open to Judges chapter 2. If you don't have your own Bible, there are some in the chairs scattered around the room. I invite you to have God's Word open um, as we uh, begin our study this morning. And as you have the Lord's Word open, let us approach Him in prayer and invite Him to speak. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you with your Word Lord, we've, we have worshipped you in song, we've worshipped you in giving, uh, we've worshipped you through prayer and, and supplication. Lord, now we just invite you into this place to speak to us, Lord. We, we ask that we would be able to continue to worship you in a way that you would transform us through your word. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, what you would have to say to us this morning, so that when we're tested, we would reveal what we truly believe, Lord, and that that would honor you. Lord, we want to be the people you call us to be. So would you lead us this morning through your word. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to kind of piece this out. So we're going to just read for now verses six. 16 through 19. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord, had, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices their stubborn ways. We see in these verses hearts revealed. Again, just a reminder that anytime we're reading in the Old Testament and you see LORD all caps, that is Yahweh. That is the Lord, that is God's personal name. uh, The Hebrews had, uh, the Israelites had many names for God. Um, Yahweh was God's personal name, meaning that God is a personal God. Uh, It's a relational, it's an intimate uh, name for God. And so anywhere in the Old Testament when you're reading and you see all caps, Lord, it's speaking of Yahweh. And so in in verse 16, we're going to see Yahweh's heart revealed we see that he has compassion for Israel by sending judges to save them from the plunderers. If you were here last week, you, and, and if you backed up, we, we saw that God handed over the Israelites to the Canaanites and, and the, the, the people of the land because they would not obey him by kicking them out. Uh, and they plundered them, right? And, and we, we talked about how plunder isn't really a word we use today. They robbed them. They destroyed them. They, they you know, uh, were evil to them. And so we see here in verse 16 that Yahweh it, uh, it raises up these judges to save them from these very people that he surrendered Israel to. This is a foreshadowing, by the way, of a coming judge for these people, we know as Christ, that God would raise up and send to redeem God's people and save God's people once and for all. It's always a good reminder that anytime we're reading the Old Testament uh, stories and history, to look for Jesus, because the Old Testament points forward to Jesus And so, as we read through our time this morning, I want you to be thinking how does what I'm hearing, how is that perfected in Jesus? Yahweh raises up judges to save them from the plunderers. Then in 17, we see Israel's heart revealed. Says, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. This is strong lang- language here. Um, in the English Standard Version, it says, "hoard." In uh, the New King James Version, I believe it's uh, played the harlot, or maybe the King James even also says that. Uh, It literally means what it sounds like. It literally means that they committed adultery. And if you remember last week, uh, the Lord's action of, of surrendering the people to the nations is the language of a father handing off his daughter to be married. Right? This is imagery that we need to be reminded of because the church is the bride of Christ. The imagery in the Old Testament, God's people were his bride. They were his chosen people. And they chose to commit adultery with God, with Yahweh, which is idolatry. The Jewish people were, in other words, figuratively the spouse of Yahweh. And they chose to commit adultery by going after these other gods. So we see god's, Yahweh's heart where God chose Israel. He chose them as a people. He established them and uh, and rescued them. And and we had, you know, they were redeemed out of uh, Egypt, out of bondage, and, and all of the history up to this point. God clearly chose Israel. But Israel chose another. Israel chose to go after other gods. And all that came with them, making idols and worshiping others. In verse 18, we continue to see Yahweh's heart revealed. Verse 18 says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord Yahweh was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Yahweh made himself known to the generation who did not know him by raising up judges. This reveals Yahweh's heart. It says that the Lord was with the judges, meaning accompanying, that, uh, that he was before and beside and with the judges that he raised, making himself therefore known through the judge to the generation that did not know him. Remember, uh, the, the setting of Judges is that uh, Joshua and all the elders and everyone who knew of God and knew all of the powerful acts and all of the history being redeemed out of is, uh, Egypt, uh, wandering through the desert, all of that generation has now passed away and a new generation has been brought up that does not know the Lord or anything that he has done for them. And even still, even in their rebellious nature, even in their adultery, Yahweh makes himself known by raising up these judges. He makes himself known through the judges. He responds to their groaning by sending these judges to free them from their oppressors. And so judges, we we get an idea of why God uses these judges. They're sent specifically to rescue them from the oppressors. So they're military people, individuals that, that rescued the people from their oppressors. And we see in 19 again, Israel's heart revealed. Verse 19 says, Whenever the judge died... They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Once the judge died, where God, Yahweh, was making himself known in powerful ways by by the judge rescuing them from their oppression, Whenever that judge would pass away and that authority and and that power disappeared, Israel would turn away and become more corrupt than they were before the judge. This word uh, corrupt is a verb. It means to decay, to destroy, to mar or waste. And with it being a verb, that means it's an action word. And so this was a behavior Israel had. So when it says that they were more corrupt, uh, it means that their behavior was one of decay and destroying and waste. And therefore, the people's hearts are revealed. Which I think we, we should pause and just understand what is being uh, one takeaway here is that if you take away the presence of one with authority, what happens next reveals the heart. Right? So, hidden sin in our life. You take away one with authority, what happens in that void reveals what we true, what, what's in the heart. Right? We see that very clearly because when The judge dies and that authority is removed. Israel turns away and is more corrupt. And we suffer from the same issue. We can look like good little Christians on Sunday morning among the flock and among our elders and among our pastors. But when the pastor or the elders or other people aren't around, how do we behave? And that reveals our heart and where it's at. This is addressed in the New Testament, you know, where, where Paul talks, uh, I believe, uh, and this is just coming to me now. I believe it's in Corinthians where he, he addresses the backbiting and the mumbling and the grumbling. And, and he says, Don't let that be part of who you are. Right? Address it, bring it to the light. The true test of what we believe and in, in, in Uh, hold dear, is revealed by how we act when no one is around to hold us accountable. Verses 20 through 23, we see that God allows Israel to have their sinful desires as they pursue the world. It says, verse 20, it says, so the Lord was hot So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. That word kindled literally means hot, uh, to make hot, um, to be kindled. So, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive them out before Drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. We see that the Lord was hot with anger, and he says, this people. And this is where translations lose some of the context here. The word people here is the Hebrew word goy, which does mean a nation or a people. But uh, traditionally in Hebrew, it normally is referring to pagan nations. Because there's another Hebrew word that is traditionally used by Hebrew writers for Israel as God's chosen people. And that is the Hebrew word am with a little apostrophe there. And that's the most common word for Israel as a nation, as God's people. And it's a more intimate word. It is the word that the Hebrew writers would identify as being God's chosen people, chosen nation. And we see here in the book of Judges that the writer uses goy instead. And this is important for us to notice because Yahweh is speaking. And he says, because this people, which normally refers to a pagan nation, it reveals his disdain for Israel's decision. Yahweh is hot with anger at their choices, at the decisions that they've made. He's no longer referring to Israel as uh, his chosen people, and he reveals how much disdain he has for the choices that this generation has made. In verse in, if we continue to read, we see that the Lord Yahweh reveals His intentions for leaving behind the pagan nations. We see that uh, the leaving behind was to test them. to test Isra- Israel's faithfulness to Him says I will no longer verse 21 I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died 22 in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not Sometimes the Lord tests us to reveal to refine us to to reveal to bring to light what we truly believe about him. Right? And, and sometimes we don't think that's fair. Sometimes we don't think, you know, one of the most common arguments for non-believers on the existence of God is, well, if God is real and God is good, then how can so much evil exist in this world? Evil exists in the world because we choose not to follow Yahweh. We choose not to follow God. And he allows us to pursue those things. It's not because he wants us to experience the evil in the world, but he allows us to pursue the world or himself. And so Yahweh tests Israel's faithfulness In other words, to reveal their heart. And through this testing, the people's hearts are revealed, and God allows them to pursue their heart's desires. And the reality is, the same thing happens today. If that rings a bell at all, New Testament wise, what might come to mind is Romans 1. Verses 18 to 32. This is jumping ahead into the New Testament. uh, Where Christ has has died on the cross. Paying the penalty for our sins. Was buried. Three days later rose again victorious over the grave. Securing uh, salvation for all who would believe in him. And this book, this letter to the Romans is written in the New Testament. The new covenant to the church. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they were, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who, bless, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. The same issue that we see here with Israel is the same issue we have in our culture today. And God allows it to happen because he desires those who follow him to choose him. He gives us the choice, the free will. He does not control us. He does not uh, make little robots that can't make choices. He allows and desires for us to surrender to him and make the choice of following him. And it's been that way since the very beginning. And whenever you have a choice, you can choose good, following God, or evil. And therefore, the existence of good, and evil in this world. Oh, I didn't finish my verses. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sounds kind of like the culture we're living in today. We see here that Yahweh tests the Israelites who didn't know him. And even though he made his heart known to them by raising up judges and, and rescuing them out of their oppression and their pain and their suffering, they still chose to be corrupt, and chose the idols of the culture that they were living in. And again, you might be sitting here going, what are you doing? But the reality is we do the same thing. It just looks different. Anytime we place anything on the same ground of God or even above God, we've done the same thing. We've committed adultery. We've committed sin. We've committed idolatry. If we we elevate anything to the same level as God or above him, that's idolatry. And so the purpose of the testing, we're now in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The purpose of the testing Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, as far as Libo Hamath, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which He commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And we see that there was a generation that didn't know how to be called people. They didn't know what it meant to be a called people. And so Yahweh had to teach them. They had to learn that Yahweh called them to himself with his purpose in mind. They had to learn, as we read, they had to learn how they had to learn war, which means that they had to learn how to fight for what God has given them, which in this case was the the promised land, their their inheritance, which would include the resources that came with the land. Uh, and how to protect their family, how to fight for their families, just to name a few. Because this generation didn't know war. They didn't know how to fight for what God had given them and provided for them. Instead, they chose to settle with the people and seek peace at the cost of walking away from Yahweh. And this is a temptation for every generation. The temptation of every generation that has come since is to fit in and be comfortable with the culture around us. And it's a real temptation. Because it's easier to fit in. It's easier to not stand out. It's easier to be comfortable And that's what we see Israel doing here in the book of Judges is that they didn't want conflict. They didn't want to fight for what Yahweh was given them. They wanted to find comfort. And so they walked away from Yahweh and everything that meant and went after these idols, the Baals. Not every enemy comes in the shape of a warrior or an army. The temptation of every generation is to fit in and be comfortable. And then, lastly, verses 5 through 6, we see Israel's apostasy. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods. This is what apostasy looks like. A fool turning away from God. We see here that Israel completely left Yahweh. And this is what apostasy is. They chose the comforts of their new world versus obeying the Lord's command to stick out, to fight to obey and instead they chose the comforts of their new world they intermarried with the enemy to make peace back then marrying uh, you know families was was normally like a, a peace offering like hey let's let's make this exchange here and we'll be good and so the Israelites handed their women their daughters over in marriage and took daughters from the enemy and intermarried with them, which led them to serve their gods. Application time. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, meaning if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As followers of Jesus, we too are a called people. Jesus calls us to himself, to follow him. And so what are we called to? Primarily, we are called to love God and love others. This is the great commandment that Jesus gives us. Well, what does it look like to love God? Well, <laughs> we love God by worshiping him. We worship Worship is not just something we do on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. Yes, we gather together on Sunday mornings and we worship Him. We sing praises to His name. We worship Him in our giving. We worship Him in our prayer life. We worship Him in our fellowship, through our fellowship. We, we pray. We spend time with Him in communication, because that's all prayer is, is a conversation with God, which goes both ways by the way it's not me just verbally vomiting to God and saying good time you know good time it means we spend time listening to which takes time and commitment I mean how many of us with our spouses would have a really great relationship if we did all of the talking with the other individual and we never spent time listening to them maybe that's true for some of you with the quiet with, with how quiet we are <laughs> I hope not a, a healthy relationship is a time of talking and a time of listening. And the same is true with God. We need to spend time talking and we need to spend time listening. That's what prayer is. And that's how we love God. We, we love God by giving. Giving tithes and offerings, but giving our time, giving, giving our service, uh, giving to those in need, we, we love God by celebrating communion when we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Making sacrifice for others, whatever that might look like. By devoting time with him in his word with other believers and by study. And, and I'm sure if I took suggestions, there might be some other ways we could love God. So we're, we're called, as followers of Christ, if we are to follow Jesus, we are to love God in these ways. But we're also called to love others. And that's koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. Where we share. We, we, we share among each other. We share our needs. We share our, our prayer requests. We, we share our life With others we participate with one another we don't just show up and receive and leave for the week we participate in some way shape or form we care for one another we make sacrifice for others because we're basically saying I love you more than me that's loving others but here's the kicker. That means we're supposed to do this with the lost and the saved. Jesus doesn't say, love God and love the church only. He doesn't say, love God and love believers only. He says, love God and love others. Everyone. All of them. So if we're going to be following Jesus, if we truly believe that, our actions would reveal that in how we behave, what we do. Not only are we called as a people who follow Jesus to love God and love others, we are called to make disciples of Jesus, which is the great commission that every believer is called to, not just a certain few. And this means that every believer must intentionally seek out lost people or those more immature in their faith into a relationship with themselves, Because you can't make disciples without a relationship. Discipleship isn't showing up for Sunday school and receiving teaching. Is teaching part of discipleship? Yes, but discipleship means I'm taking somebody into a relationship with me and I'm showing them what I know. I'm building a relationship with someone. And so if we are truly following Jesus, then every single believer who claims to be a follower of Jesus must be living their life intentionally, seeking somebody to invite into a relationship with them. For the goal of showing them Jesus. Not just teaching them about Jesus, but showing them Jesus which means each of us need to step out of our comfort zones and rub shoulders with lost people. We don't like doing that. We like comfort of our little church here and and being with the people we love. We don't like rubbing shoulders with lost people. They irritate us. They annoy us. They smell funny. I don't know. Maybe you can list some more excuses. But if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to truly follow Jesus the way we claim we do, we need to make disciples, which means we have to be willing to rub shoulders where they're at. Which means we need to each establish relationships with people. And as we establish these relationships, we have the opportunity to show them how to love God and to love others by how we love God and love others. Not only that, we get to teach them and train them and equip them and empower them to make disciples too. This is what it means to be called to follow Jesus. And in the same way that Israel was called by God to follow him, we're called to follow Jesus too. You know, a story comes to mind where Jesus was teaching, and I—and again, this is just kind of coming—and I'm terrible at references. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching, and he sends out the seventy-two. And if you look at the context of that, these seventy-two were not like—they weren't regular followers. They probably showed up for the first time and heard his message one time, and he says, "All right, now you go take that, and come back and let me know what happens." Too often, we wait until our believers reach a certain understanding or a certain level before we say, okay, now you go share. Jesus didn't do it that way. He taught them and he says, now go share that. I think about the, the, le- the man with the legion. He, he frees him with the, with the, the demons Who you know? He was cutting himself, and he had the thousand demons in him, and he cast the demons out. And he and he says, "Let me come with you." And he says, "No, go share what's happened." An entire town has changed. We have to rethink what it looks like to make disciples. The apostle James said, I will show you my faith by my works. What we place our trust, belief, faith in will be revealed by how we act or behave. Are we willing to put our money where our mouth is? Because actions come from where what we believe. And this exposes our hearts. Are we following Jesus like he says to? Where we daily surrender, we we pick up our cross and follow him? Or have we settled in and gotten comfortable? We're going to close in a time of prayer and, and with our closing song. And I don't know where you're at this morning. With, with God. I don't know where you're at personally but maybe something hits you this morning maybe the Holy Spirit revealed something to you this morning that you need to surrender we, we invite you during the last song to just do that, respond to the Holy Spirit in that way because I believe God has plans for his church that includes us but I also believe he wants his church to be in a place where there's nothing else that matters but Jesus. And So let's pray, and I'm going to have Amy come up, and we'll, we'll close in this, in this closing song. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though this is 3,300 year, 3, years ago, That all of scripture is profitable for teaching. For rebuking. For reproof. For training in righteousness. Lord, we desire to be a people who love you and love others. And who are willing to go and make disciples. Lord, some of us have settled into comfort zone. If we're going to follow you, Lord, we need to be willing to get out of that comfort zone. But Lord, only you can, only you can change a heart to do that. So Lord, we come before you and ask that you would do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that in our closing song here, Lord, that you would speak to hearts. That you would reveal places in our souls that we've maybe settled in. That we need to surrender and repent and and. and get back on mission with you. Lord, because that's what you desire. So Lord, continue to do your work. Continue to do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.